How are we, church? We feeling good? You sound good. I want to welcome you to King's Church. You guys here at the Valley Campus, I want to welcome everybody as well in at our East location at Bayside Middle School. Uh, let's say hello to each other. You guys in the East, put your hands together for the Valley. You guys here, put your hands together for East. And then uh, we also want to welcome our Halifax crowd. Uh, it's a church of three right now. Uh, yes. Uh, three and counting. Three and a half, actually. They have one on the way, and then we believe that God's just going to bring the numbers. Hey, can you keep praying for Pastor Seth every day? Be praying for Seth. Be praying for Halifax. God wants to do something amazing there. Uh, he's right now hosting our online campus, so if you're watching online, Pastor Seth will help you out. Uh, but man, hey, if you know anybody in Halifax, we are pooling names, and Seth is like a wild animal. He is going after anybody in Halifax that will give him the time of day. So uh, that's what it means to build a church. You just go after it. You can't be lazy. And he's doing that. So would you just uh, email the church, post on our Facebook page. You can post right now on the news feed or the whatever it's called, the timeline on Facebook, whatever you Facebookers call it. Uh, just post names. We're going after people. He's like a hitman. Like just give him names. He's getting after it. We want that. Hey, before, uh, you're in for a real treat today. One of my favorite preachers of all time, uh, is Pastor John Simons, is going to be bringing a word in just a minute, and so I'm excited for you to hear from him. Before we do that, though, I just got a little bit of housekeeping, because sometimes a guy's got to do that once in a while. Uh, and I got a couple quick announcements for you. Everyone say, hooray, announcements! Yeah! yeah. We try to keep announcements to a minimum, but a couple things I want just to keep on your radar. Next weekend, everyone say, next weekend. You guys in the East, don't sleep on me. Every, next weekend is at our, our monthly night of worship happening at Bayside Middle School. If you've never participated in a night of worship, truly special things happen uh, when we gather together just for the purpose of worshiping. One of the things we're doing here today on our weekend gatherings, yes, we come to worship. Yes, we come to usher in the presence. But we also have a motivation to receive the Word of God. And so we give a lot of time each week to the preaching and teaching of God's Word. And we like it that way. But something special happens when you just gather together to open up a time of praise. God just does something special. And so we have a serious value here of being people of praise, people of worship. And so make sure next weekend you come out to Bayside Middle School. we got lots of seats. We can actually squeeze 600 people in there. So come on out. Let's fill the place with praise and people and have an awesome, awesome night. Amen? amen? Don't say amen if you're not coming. Don't just nod in agreement. You come, all right? Night of worship next week. Also, uh, next Monday night, uh, our annual business meeting is happening. If that excites you, you can come. If it doesn't, don't worry about it. So we, uh, we just shared a couple weeks ago on Vision Week all of our uh, yay gods and our stats and numbers. And so if that's sufficient for you, it's sufficient for me. But if not, you want to go a little deeper, come on out because we're going deep. So come on to our annual business meeting. It's here at the Valley Campus Monday night uh, following next weekend, whatever date that is. I probably should have written that down. But next Monday night, that's happening. All right, real quick, a little bit of housekeeping I got to do. Now, if you weren't the long weekend crowd... Uh, I wouldn't be preaching to the choir, but since you're here on the long weekend, that tells me something. You didn't come to mess around. You came for the Word of God. Amen? Amen. If, you had, if you had other things you wanted to do, you'd be doing it, but you're here because you're ready for it. I even nudged Pastor Dan here in worship during our service and just said, hey, these guys came ready. They're not messing around. They want the Word of God. So I'm going to be preaching to the choir for a second, but where I'm not preaching today, I thought I'd take a minute to really set the table for Pastor John for this to be probably his greatest preaching experience of ever all time. We're going to give that to him, all right? 
It's funny, actually, Pastor John and I were walking upstairs before the service, and I have my uh, two-year-old Alex in my hands, and he was looking at Pastor John. I said, that's Pastor John. He's about to preach. He's been doing that since I was your size. And John, Pastor John's like, no, probably not. I go, when did you start ministry? 1982. And I said, well, I was born in 1983, so fact. <laughs> so he's done a lot of preaching, so he's very good at it. But let's posture ourselves, church in a way that's not necessarily just about honoring Pastor John, although we want to do that. But beyond that, we need to posture ourselves every week as a church in a way that receives the Word of God. And so in the last few weeks, I've, and again, I'm preaching to the choir. Those people aren't here right now. So I'm joking. I'm joking, not joking. But the last few weeks, I've been noticing a lot of creep. There's people on their phones. You're getting up. You're walking out. Some people have serious bladder issues that I wonder if Thor was on the screen, if you would have got up and walked out. But there's, there's just distractions, and there's side conversations. There's babies. There's just a lot of distraction. And I'm not trying to make a big deal about small things, but it is a big deal when it comes between a person receiving the Word of God in their heart and not. And so, so one of the things... We want to do, that was prophetic, is what that was. If you guys at Easter are wondering what we're laughing at, a baby just squawked at that moment. So, actually, my wife and I, my wife and I, we bring our youngest son in for worship, and she would even bring him in for the, for the, for the message, but as soon as, we, as soon as he squawks, we take a walk. That's our rule, right? So as soon as there's a distraction, we remove him. Why? Because the people around him are not going to be able to hear clearly the Word of God. I said this in one of the services last week because I was having an angry rant, and I just did it. But uh, the, 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 the Word of God, understand it like a seed. And a seed has the power to bring life, correct? Like if you plant a seed, you can bring life. But the seed will not bring life if it does not find the correct environment. And so one of the things we need to do as a church is we need to create the correct environment in this room while the Word of God is being preached. And so that, what's that mean? It means lean in. It means come ready. It means come bring your Bible. It means open your, open your notes, open your phone, whatever that is. Turn off Facebook. Turn off Instagram. Stop scrolling. Stop talking. You, this is the most important 40 minutes of your whole week. And I don't care who's preaching because God's word is being spoken. And you will get out of it what you lean in for. So lean in and let's create an atmosphere that is dead serious about the word of God. Amen. So this doesn't mean, this doesn't give anybody permission to be slapping people on the wrist or making moms feel uncomfortable. We want to be a place that's welcoming to all people. But when it comes to God's word, we guard that. And we guard it hard. Amen? So let's lean in. You guys in at East, lean in. Don't sleep on the fact that you're on screen. We can hear you. So lean in. Get ready to receive the word of God. Get your notepad out. I'm going to do the same. I'm going to write notes. I find something happens for me when I take the time to write notes. It just goes in a little deeper. So prepare the soil of your heart. Can I get an amen from the choir? I know I'm preaching to the choir on long weekend, but I just want to just establish that in our culture here. This will be a church that values and esteems the Word of God more than anything. It's not that we don't value new people. It's not that we don't value your Facebook feed. It's not that we don't value small babies in church. It's just that we value God's Word more than anything else thought I'd get more amens than that. We're going to just work on it. All right, let's get started. Would you stand to your feet, and we're going to read our text today, and then we are going to honor the Word of God and honor Pastor John as he comes by putting our hands together and giving him a hoot and holler and telling him, we are ready, sir. You preach to us, and we are getting every bit out of this. So let's read our text today, 
and let's get, let's get our hearts ready to receive the Word of God. It says this in Acts chapter 18, we're picking up in our series, it says this, Then Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. Last week he was in Athens, remember? What's this babbler saying? Verse 2, there he came, there he became acquainted to, with a Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who had recently arrived from Italy with his wife, Priscilla. They had left Italy when Claudius Caesar deported all Jews from Rome. Paul lived and worked with them, for they were tent makers just as he was. Each Sabbath found Paul at the synagogue trying to convince the Jews and Greeks alike. And after Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia, Paul spent all of his time preaching the word. He testified to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. But when they opposed and insulted him, Paul shook the dust from his clothes and said, Your blood is on your own hands. I'm innocent. From now on, I'll go preach to the Gentiles. Then he left and he went to the home of, T of Titius, Justice, Titus, Justice, I don't know, Titius, Justice, a Gentile who worshiped God and lived next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, and everyone in his household believed in the Lord. Many others in Corinth also heard Paul and became believers and were baptized. Here it is. One night, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision and told him, Don't be afraid. Speak out. Don't be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack and harm you, for many people in this city belong to me. So Paul stayed there for the next year and a half, teaching the Word of God. But when Galileo became the governor of Achaia, some Jews rose up together against Paul and brought him before the governor for judgment. They accused Paul of persuading people to worship God in ways that are contrary to our law. But just as Paul started to make his defense, Galileo turned to Paul's accusers and said, Listen, you Jews, if this were a case involving some wrongdoing or a serious crime, I would have a reason to accept your case. But since it is merely a question of words and names and your Jewish law, take care of it yourselves. I refuse to judge such matters. And he he threw them out of the courtroom. The crowd then grabbed Sothenes, the leader of the synagogue, and beat him up right there in the courtroom. But Galileo paid no attention. Paul stayed in Corinth for some time after that and then said goodbye to the brothers and sisters and went to nearby Centuria. There he shaved his head according to the Jewish custom, marking the end of a vow. Then he set sail for Syria, taking Priscilla and Aquila with him. May the Lord bless the reading of his word, and now may the Lord bless the proclamation of his word, and may you bless Pastor John as he comes. Let's put our hands together, and let's welcome Pastor John to the stage. Please be seated. I was just 17 years of age, which after that introduction I'm feeling must have been just shortly after the earth's crust cooled. <laughs> I was just finishing my grade 11 in high school and I had never had a real job. I'm talking about a real job with a paycheck. As a kid and into my early teens, I had done the around the house and around the yard chores and my father had me work with him in the garden but it was back then, as I was finishing grade 11, that my high school buddy, Allison, said to me, hey, would you like to work at Canadian Tire part-time? He worked there. Well, he said, if you'd like to, I'll put in a good word for you. So he did, and the following week, I went to work Friday after school at 5 o'clock, and there I sold tires 
for $8.88. A quart of oil was 29 cents, which was good because the old car I drove would use a quart of oil every 100 miles. Anyway, I would go to work Friday at 5 and work till 9, and then Saturdays I would work from 8 uh, in the morning until closing time, which back then was 1 in the afternoon. Ah, I remember the first Saturday at 1 in the afternoon. That's when I got my first paycheck, $18.25. More money than I ever dreamed, all because my... Buddy Allison put in a good word for me. These past 20 years or so, it's been my great privilege to, to speak at summer camps, you know, church camps, July-August thing. And I've been to five different camps in Ontario, uh, camps in Maine, New York State, Pennsylvania, Maryland, here in New Brunswick. And this summer, Lord willing, if I make it till August, I will preach in my 25th camp meeting in the past years. And maybe you're wondering, or maybe you're not, even if you're not, I guess I'll tell you, how does one get to speak at these summer camps anyway? Well, I often wondered that myself. And so I would often say to the director of the camp, so how come you came to ask me to come here? And the common response was this, well, I was talking to an acquaintance of yours who said to me, do you know John Simons? And then they put in a good word for me. Everyone in this room understands what it means to put in a good word for someone. Maybe you've asked someone at some point in your life, surely you have, would you put in a good word for me? And they did. And then some windfall came your way, some privilege or some great benefit, and maybe even some job that you got came your way because someone did that for you. They put in a good word. It's a good thing to make a supportive comment. It's, it's a good thing to make a favorable, favorable recommendation it's a, it's a good thing to put in a good word for someone. It's a fine thing to do. It's commendable. It carries weight. But for us, those of us who claim the name of Jesus Christ, call ourselves Christians, to put in a good word for Jesus, it's the business of our lives. Do you agree? It's the business of our lives. As Pastor Brent just read to us, Acts chapter 18 opens with Paul arriving in the city of Corinth. He's on a missions trip, his third actually. And when he arrives in town, he goes to the synagogue, that's the Jewish worship center, and he starts talking to whoever would listen to him. He teaches, he preaches, he dialogues, and and now in other places in the book of Acts, when Paul preaches a sermon to the crowd, we're often given quite an amount, several paragraphs maybe, of the sermon that he preached. But here, in verse 5 of chapter 18, we're, we're only given this much of what he preached. He said to them, the Messiah you are looking for is Jesus. He simply put in a good word for Jesus. Now, I'm sure that Paul said a lot more than that uh, when he preached that sermon. But of this, I'm even more sure that that was the essence 
of what his sermon, that was the essence of the sermon. It was the core of what he said. I suggest to you further that it certainly was the most important thing he said, and I'm suggesting to you now that it's probably the first thing he said. If Paul preached that day and preached 40 minutes, and you had to condense everything that Paul said in that sermon down to one sentence, it would probably be this, the Messiah you are looking for is Jesus. Now, of course, he was speaking to a Jewish crowd, and back in those days, all the Jews were awaiting the arrival of the Messiah, the Christ, the prophet, the great one that God would send. The problem, of course, that the Jews were facing is that most of them did not accept Jesus as that Messiah. So Paul's leading words were simply this, the Messiah that you are waiting for, that you are looking for, is Jesus. Now, if Paul were preaching here today to this crowd, he probably would not use the word Messiah. He probably would say something like this, that something that's missing in your life is Jesus. He probably would say something like this. Are, are you lacking meaning? Are you lacking purpose? Are you lacking fulfillment in your life? What you need is Jesus. What Paul would probably say would be something like this. The inner peace that eludes you, it's found only in a relationship with Jesus Christ. He was always putting in a good word for Jesus. That was paramount in Paul's teaching, preaching, his conversations, his dialogue. Can I, may I ask you something? King's Church, King's East, can I ask you something? Are, are you often reticent about putting in a good word for Jesus? Do, do you find yourself when you're out there and talking about your faith, are you hesitant maybe to speak the name of Jesus out there? We easily and we readily speak of our church, and that's good. We often speak of our faith, and that's, excuse my English, that's gooder. <laughs> and, and we often speak of God's name, and that's, that's goodest, that's very good. But sometimes, don't you? Sometimes I find myself kind of, uh, reserving the name of Jesus for a little later, maybe after I've established some uh, rapport, after maybe I've broken the ice in my conversation with people out there. We seem to understand that you can, you can speak of your church. That's quite easy to do. You can speak of your faith. You, you can mention God, and it's, and it's all okay to do that, but you raise the bar when you say Jesus. You do. We know that the name of Jesus, often when you say it, it brings offense when you say his name. But hear me. It may bring offense, but it's the name that brings conviction with it. It is. The power is in the name Jesus. Now in the days of Paul's ministry, insofar as the young church had a creed, a creed in, in as much as they had a statement of faith, it was only three words long. It was this, Jesus is Lord. 
And if you were a follower of Jesus Christ, you were required not only to believe that, you were required to say it, you were, in, you were required to say it out loud. Would you like to say it? Let's say it together. Jesus is Lord. Say it again. Say it to me so I can hear you. It's a good thing to say that name. It's the powerful name. We used to sing a chorus. Maybe some of you know this chorus. He is Lord. If we just dropped the he, we could sing, Jesus is Lord. Do you know it? Jesus is Lord. Jesus is risen from the dead. And Jesus is Lord. Remember the rest? Every shall bow. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. They were required to say it out loud. There's power in the name of Jesus. It's powerful here when we say the name. It's even more powerful out there, tremendous power. On one occasion, Jesus was teaching hard truth now, when I say he was teaching hard truth, he was on, as he did late in his ministry especially, teaching them things like this, follow me, and it's going to be, you're going to experience some tough going. That's the kind of truth that Jesus was preaching on this occasion, and people started to leave him. And turning to his disciples, he said, will you also leave me? And disciple Peter got it so right. Sometimes he didn't get it right. But on this occasion, he got it so right when he said these words, Lord, to whom would we go? You alone have the words that give eternal life. Sometime later, after Jesus' death and resurrection, Peter was putting in a good word for Jesus on the downtown streets of Jerusalem, and he got arrested for it. The Jewish council demanded that he just follow one direction, don't say Jesus' name again. He said, I can't help it. And then he said these words, there is salvation in no one else. Jesus is our only hope. He's your only hope. It is the business of our lives to put in a good word for Jesus. Now hear me. Until you and I put in a good word for Jesus, we may have said some kind words. We may have said some nice words. We may have said some good words. And we may have said some helpful words, but you've not said the powerful word until you have said Jesus, until you have put in a good word for Jesus. So for the next few minutes, let me help you consistently, regularly, daily, put in a good word for Jesus. When you do put in a good word for Jesus, here's the first thing I would say to you, surround yourself with like-minded believers. Surround yourself with like-minded believers. Now, Paul arrived here in the city of Corinth alone, but alone only because he was with Silas and Timothy in Thessalonica when he got in trouble for speaking about Jesus. So they sneaked him out of town. 
And then he went to Athens, where we were last week with Pastor Brent in Acts chapter 17. And then he moved on to Corinth and hooked up with other believers. Verse 2 says, there he became acquainted with a Jew named Aquila and his wife Priscilla. Paul lived and worked with them, for they were tent makers, just as he was. Now I ask you, what do you suppose they spoke about in the evening as they relaxed around the hearth late in the day. There was no Netflix, so they weren't binging on white collar. You know what they were doing, don't you? They spoke about Jesus. They undoubtedly, as they sat around late in the evening, were recollecting things that he had said and things that he had done. They talked about Jesus and how on the next day when they went to the synagogue, they would put in a good word for Jesus. They encouraged each other. They motivated each other. They strategized together of how they would work Jesus' name into every conversation that they would have the next day. Paul was wise to surround himself with like-minded believers. Early on in his uh, ministry, he traveled with Barnabas, who was, that means the encourager. He traveled with Silas. He traveled with Timothy. He traveled with Mark. They planned what they would say. Don't you think as they sat around, Paul would say something like, Listen, Aquila, now mid-sermon tomorrow morning, I'm going to look at you and I'm going to give you a nod. And when I do, I want you to stand and tell them how you met Jesus. And a little later in my sermon, Priscilla, I, when I nod at you, I want you to tell them how Jesus changed your life, okay? And they drew support from each other and they practiced the principle found way back in Ecclesiastes chapter 4 and verse 12, which reads like this, two can stand back to back and conquer, three are even better. Now the world knows this to be true. Ancient explorers, those of you that are historians, Radisson and Grosset traveled together into the discovered Northlands that are now part of Canada looking for the Northwest Passage. Two can stand back to back. The Lone Ranger had Tonto. SpongeBob even has Patrick. <laughs> the world understands this principle. Probably my most favorite movie of all time would have to be uh, Kevin Costner's movie Dances with Wolves based on the book, uh, Michael Blake's book by the same name. Uh, Costner plays John Dunbar, veteran of the Civil War, sick and tired of all the fighting, and, and so he, he decides that he wants to go it alone and visit the frontier before the frontier forever disappears. So he does. He goes alone to a remote post. His only company is his horse, Cisco, and a wolf he befriends that he names Two Socks. Months pass, and it's a, it's a lonely, melancholy existence, and he can't stand the solitary life any longer, so he reaches out to his Sioux neighbors, and he finds friends, and he finds the love of his life. And my point is simply this, of course. We need each other. We weren't intended to do this alone. And when we get together, when we get together, if you're in one of the community groups that King's Church offers, offers, when we get together, we should 
talk about how we can more effectively put in a good word for Jesus every day in every conversation, in every relationship. When the frontline ministry teams get together, talk about how we can more effectively put in a good word for Jesus. So when you put in a good word for Jesus, number one, surround yourself with like-minded believers. Here's the next one. Expect some opposition. Verse five, the Messiah you are looking for is Jesus, says Paul. And verse six says, the Jews opposed him and insulted him. Well, no wonder. This Corinth audience was Jewish and to them to say Jesus is Lord would be blasphemy. They did not accept Jesus as the Messiah and therefore to, to say Jesus is Lord would be equating him with God, which would be blasphemy. At this time, the Romans ruled all of the Middle East and for any Romans in the crowd, to them, Jesus is Lord was treasonous. Lord was the official title of Caesar. They believe that Caesar is Lord. And there are many people today that you know in our multi-ethnic, multicultural, multi-religious culture who take offense when we say the name Jesus. To mention God is not offensive because everyone believes in a God, either with capital G or a small g. The word God can mean many things in our culture today. But when you put in a good word for Jesus, you are getting uncomfortably specific for many people. You see, Jesus made incredible claims, audacious really, unless they were true. And of course they were. So when you say Jesus is Lord, you are saying that Jesus indeed is the way and the truth and the life. When you say Jesus is Lord, what you're saying is Jesus Christ alone has the words of eternal life. When you say Jesus is Lord, you are saying that there is no other name under heaven whereby we can be saved. You should expect some opposition. These words are from the diary of John Wesley, whose name we claim, who everywhere he went talked about Jesus. Sunday morning, May the 5th, preached in St. Anne's, was asked not to come back anymore. Sunday evening, May the 5th, preached in St. John's. Deacons said, get out and stay out. Sunday morning, May the 12th, preached in St. Jude's, can't go back there either. Sunday morning, May the 19th, preached in St. Andrew's, deacons called a special meeting and said I could not return. Sunday evening, May the 19th, preached on the street, kicked off the street. Sunday morning, May the 26th, preached in a meadow, chased out of the meadow as a bull was turned loose during the service. Sunday morning, June the 2nd, preached out at the edge of town, kicked off the highway. If you will mention the name of Jesus, if you put in a good word for Jesus, you will probably have to take a little grief. You may not be the most you may not be the most popular guy at the Tim's, Tim Hortons gang. Some may leave the staff room when you walk in. Do it anyway. 
Put in a good word for Jesus. Here's number three. And as you do put in a good word for Jesus, I would suggest you look for those that are open. Look for seekers. Be on the alert for those who are searching, those who are looking, those who are listening. Be on the lookout for those who are aware that the hole down inside of them is a God-shaped hole. After Paul had said these words back in verse 5, the Messiah that you're looking for is Jesus, verse 6 says, But when the Jews opposed him and insulted him, Paul shook the dust from his robe and said, Your blood be upon your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I'll go to the Gentiles. And he did. He said, If you're not interested, then I will go look for those who are interested. I will go search out those who are open. Verse 7 says, After that, he stayed with Titius Justice, a Gentile, I knew how to say that word before Pastor Brent totally messed it up, and now I'm not sure, I'm not sure how to pronounce it myself. Titius Justus, a Gentile who worshipped God and lived, listen to this, next door to the synagogue. That's where, that's where Paul was staying. Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, and all his household believed in the Lord. Hear me. When you're looking for receptive, receptive hungry people, Open people, don't overlook your next door neighbor. Don't overlook your next door neighbor. You may be your next door neighbor's best hope of ever coming into a relationship with Jesus Christ. It might be you. Back in 1999, I was pastoring in Yarmouth, Nova Scotia, and Paula appeared in church one Sunday morning and lingered afterwards, and so as I did, and uh, she wanted to talk, and I didn't talk to her about a minute or two be, uh, before I could see that she was very clearly hungry and just searching. So two days later, Tuesday evening, I don't know a lot about church growth. My habit through the years was try to attract people to church, get them there, and then chase them down afterwards. So Tuesday evening, I went by her home, and she was, she was so eager for me to explain to her how she could become a follower of Jesus Christ. Her husband, Mike, was home too, but he was in the other room. I could hear him clattering around out there, and I could see his shadow, and I could see him cross the doorway. He knew I was in there. He made it clear, I'm not coming in. I'm not going to meet the guy. Don't ask me to come in. He, sent, he was sending me a clear message. I'm not interested. Listen to me. But he was. A year or so later, that was 99, a year and a half later, 2001, I left Yarmouth and came up here to teach at Kingswood University. And then a year after that, something was going on in Yarmouth and the church and they wanted the old pastor back. So I went back for a special occasion and walked into the Sunday morning service. And who do you suppose... <laughs> was on the platform making an appeal for people to give to buy a church van for youth ministry and for outreach ministry. It was Mike, brand new believer. Who would have thought? Hear me. When you put in a good word for Jesus, look for seekers. They're everywhere. And they're places where you wouldn't think. Some people act belligerent, but it's only masking a deep, seated 
hunger to come to know Jesus. Here's number four. When you put in a good word for Jesus, don't ever give up. Now, I take you to verse 9. One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision and told him, Don't be afraid, speak out, don't be silent, for I am with you, and no one will harm you because many people here in this city belong to me. And so I read on, I come to verse 11. So Paul stayed there for the next year and a half, teaching the word of God. Now when I got to verse 12 and I realized why the Lord in the middle of the night, came to Paul and spoke these words of warning because when you get to verse 12, here's what you read. But when Gallio became governor of Achaia, some Jews rose in concerted action against Paul and brought him before the governor for judgment. They accused Paul of persuading people to worship God in ways that are contrary to the law. The opposition back in verse 6 that we mentioned a minute ago got worse. And the Lord saw this Jewish uprising coming and was giving Paul a little heads up for it got there. What's he saying to Paul? Don't worry about it, Paul. I've got this. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Don't give up. I'll never leave you or forsake you. And sure enough, when they got before the governor, as Pastor Brent just read, the governor said, don't bother me with this nonsense. I'm not going to get involved in your Jewish law and he threw them all out of his courtroom. So don't ever give up. Never stop putting in a good word for Jesus. We are on the winning team, aren't we? And I think I heard Pastor Brent say this a week or two ago, week or two ago, week or two ago, that doesn't work, does it? <laughs> Have you read the back of the book? We win. Check it out. You know the name William Wilberforce? Well, if you don't, he was discouraged one night in the early 1790s after one more defeat in his 10-year battle against the slave trade in England. Tired and frustrated, he opened his Bible and began to leaf through it, and a small piece of paper fell out and fluttered to the floor, and it was a letter written by the aforementioned John Wesley shortly before he died. Wilberforce picked up the little piece of paper and read this. I don't I do not see how you can make it through your glorious enterprise in that fight against the abominable practice of slavery. Unless God has raised you up for this very thing, you will be worn out by the opposition of men and devils. But if God is for you, who can be against you? Are all of them together stronger than God? Oh, be not weary of well-doing. Go on in the name of God and in the power of his might. And he did. You know the story. You know the history. Slavery was forever outlawed in Great Britain. Now hear me. That kind of slavery is no more in our land. But you have friends and you have neighbors and you have family who are enslaved by their lifestyles and their habits and their addictions and their detrimental relationships. And hear me, they need Jesus. And they need you to put in a good word for Jesus. One more before I stop. When you're putting in a good word for Jesus, expect results. Back to verse 7, Paul stated Titius Justice House, verse 8, says Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, and all his household believed in the Lord. Well, of course, Paul knew that. 
because Paul was instrumental in bringing them to Christ. But then you read a little further and you read these words, many others in Corinth also became believers and were baptized. And then verse 10, part of the Lord's nighttime message of encouragement to Paul, he reminds Paul that many people here in this city belong to me. What's he saying? He's saying, Paul, there are people that have come to know me. You don't even know about them. You don't know their name. Your words about me are having an effect far beyond what you ever realize. Hear me. When you put in a good word for Jesus, the result is far greater than you ever dreamed, far greater than you ever could have thought. Things happen, amazing things. Expect results. A few minutes ago when I was reading to you from John Wesley's entries into his diary, I deliberately left. I read you a whole list of day-by-day rejection, discouragement, and failure. And I admitted the entry, the last one, for Sunday evening, June the 2nd. In that morning, he had been kicked off the highway. Here's the entry for that evening. Preached in a pasture, 10,000 people came to hear. Expect results. There's power in the name of Jesus. John Newton, you know the name, author of that much loved and greatly blessed hymn, Amazing Grace, once spoke of the wonders he expected to see when he got to heaven. And one of them was this. He said, I expect to see when I get to heaven many people whom I did not expect to see. Loved ones, if you will just constantly and conscientiously and consistently put in a good word for Jesus, you too, I promise you, you too will see people in heaven you did not expect to see. There will be people come up to you one day in heaven and say things like this. We were in second cup and you said to me, I decided to follow Jesus and he totally changed my life. And when you said that to me, that stuck with me. And I would think about that when I put my head on the pillow at night and 15 years later, I decided to follow him too and I'm here today. If you will consistently put in a good word for Jesus, you'll have people one day approach you in heaven and say, when we got into that conversation way back there, I wanted to argue and I was insisting to you that all paths, all religions lead to God. And you just said, you looked at me and said, the founder of every world religion lies in a grave somewhere. Jesus alone is alive. And I couldn't get away from it. And I'm here today because I came to know Jesus. If you will consistently put in a good word for Jesus, someone one day in heaven will approach you and say something like this. I asked you if you were religious and your response was, I wouldn't say I'm religious, but I do have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I wanted that. Ah, folks. Don't ever stop, don't quit. Yeah, you may take a little grief. but there are hungry, searching people everywhere. 
And for some, it will be their most significant day for you to put in a good word for Jesus. Will you do it? Let's pray together. What a great God you are. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross for us. Jesus, I thank you for saving this man. He's just a six-year-old boy. Father, help us to talk less about our faith in our church and vague God talk and religious talk and say your name out there. Help us to think every day in every way in every conversation. How can I, how can I put in a good word for Jesus today? Help us to do it and to do it consistently. Convince us, convict us, empower us by your Holy Spirit. And God's people said,